Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. And it was really, it was more rampant, and it was going on, and, and they for sure probably knew that. Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympic fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Hello, Allison. How are you doing today? I am doing fabulous. How are you doing? I'm doing great, too. I am feeling pumped and inspired because I got to watch the Team USA Awards that you had yes. mentioned on last week's show. It was yes. exciting and I needed more Kleenex than I had at hand because I remembered all of these moments and then I got all emotional. And then I started vid watching videos that made me even more emotional. So instead <laughs> of a rabbit hole of, you know, all these little trivia bits, you went into a crying rabbit hole. Right. And, and it just reminded me of how amazing and inspirational the Pyeongchang Olympics were. It, yeah. They really were just not just, you know, because the U.S. did so well and they had so many amazing moments. But just in general, there were so many inspirational things that happened at this Winter Games. And that made me really happy and very excited for the Olympic movement all over again. Yes, it was it was a very positive Olympics. And, and as we've been talking to the athletes, they've been telling us how great the fans were and how great the experience was. And we certainly had fun watching right. it. <laughs> and, we, and we had fun watching with you, the listeners, because that was that was a good time. That was a good that time. Was. It yeah, was a lot absolutely. of fun. But maybe we need to make our own awards. We need Olympic fever awards. Oh, yeah, we should. We should do that. We got to figure well, out how to do that. Well, think about that. Okay. We have 800 days until Tokyo. Yeah, we got eight, we got 800 days to do a lot of planning. <laughs> <laughs> the Team USA Awards. Yes. I don't know how people voted for the awards because I know I went to vote mm -hmm. and I couldn't pick. I was like, really? oh, I can't vote for them. I had a vet. I just didn't vote it wasn't a sophie's choice but it was allison's choice right oh to get the, like, the good olympic flame 
kind of trophy oh. that they gave away. Oh, and thankfully everybody got a ring, like we talked right. about. So I felt like okay, nobody went home empty-handed. But still, I couldn't pick. So props to everyone who could pick one competitor over the other because I couldn't do it. I know it was very hard. And when you saw when they kept reading the nominees, I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And there were some people where I went, well, this is the person who's going to get it, even though the other nominees were amazing. And actually every nominee was really amazing. So getting it down to like three people or three or four choices, that must've been the hard part. Yeah. Just figuring out who the nominees were going to be. Right. So it was actually, it was an hour and a half show, like you said, Mm -hmm. with all of 10 awards and two of those were like honorary awards. So that was, it was interesting how long the show was for how much content it had. Well, the Oscars, I think are only 20 awards and they go on for like 46 hours. (laughs) Very true. Very true. And they don't have Mike Tirico hosting. So exactly. yeah, I know Mike Tirico comes out and I got all happy and that was... it's like, oh Mike, I missed <laughs> no, you. I did. I have missed Mike Tirico, and I'm sure Mike Tirico would go, well, you could watch me on other sports on NBC. Just turn on the TV. <laughs> but it's not the same, Mike. No, it's not. And you've uh, changed. Uh, and it was nice to see some of the presenters, like Sasha Cohen, came out and like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, Sasha, you're back. And uh, Sarah Hughes was there. And then Vernon Davis was there, and he has been into curling for a long time, and it was so exciting to see him. And of course, Mr. T was there, and they and Olympians were reading Mr. T tweets because he's been so inspirational and and so supportive. And supportive is even kind of a lame word to use with how excited he's been about the Olympics. Yes, so. think of him lifting Team USA. Right, and right. Lift, you know, <laughs> I like one hand. <laughs> it's like I pity the fool who doesn't watch the Olympics. I mean, it was. <laughs> that was amazing, and I think that made this Olympic cycle even more fun to watch. Yes, they gave out uh, awards for Paralympics and Olympics, and like female and male and coach and teams, and then they had a Building Dreams honorary award, which went to Tom Kelly, who does a lot of media and communications. And then the Jesse Owens Award went to Christy Yamaguchi, and it was really cute because they had her children's book, and and uh, two children were reading it back and forth on stage, so that was adorable. And she talked a lot about her foundation, which is really neat, and giving books to underprivileged kids. So we had uh, one of Team Olympic Fever members, one female Olympic athlete of the year, which was, who was uh, Chloe Kim. So that yes. was exciting to see her. She actually could not attend uh, Sean White won male athlete, Oksana Masters won female Paralympic athlete, and Dan Knossen won male Paralympic athlete. So, and then and then the team, uh, the women's hockey won the best Olympic team, and the Paralympic team I think was the sled hockey team. Yeah, yes, the sled hockey team. So yeah, it was really exciting to see everything, and it was a good night. It was a good. It was a good watch. It was fun. It made you feel all warm and fuzzy. and It did make you feel warm and fuzzy. And one of the nominees is today's guest on our show. So excited, Keegan Randall. And I've been wanting to do your best. I have been dying to do Oprah because I don't know what it is about Keegan that just makes me want to just go all Oprah on her. 
And I had to tell you, I am very proud of myself for sub being subdued in front of her face because I really did almost want to say, Keegan Randall! And I'm so glad you didn't because you would have scared her. <laughs> I would have. And, and she doesn't need to know how crazy we are in the first five seconds that we talk. Yeah. Yeah. She can figure that out later. <laughs> Like, like all the other listeners. <laughs> at, least, at least get them through one episode before they find out the truth. Well, yeah, this is super exciting. Keegan Randall is a five-time Olympian, and she made history in Pyeongchang with her teammate Jesse Diggins as the first Americans to win gold in a cross-country skiing event, and they won gold in the team sprint. The team became known for their face glitter and Keegan's pink hair. And making history is nothing new to, for Keegan Randall. She was the first American woman to win a World Cup event, a world championship, and the overall sprint championship in cross country. She was also the only mom on Team USA in Pyeongchang. And now she's retired, but her Olympic career really hasn't ended because she's now on the Athletes Commission of the International Olympic Committee. So we talked to her about the her Olympics her skiing career, and uh, what she's doing now with the IOC. And it was really exciting to talk to her. Take a listen. Let's start with the big thing. So gold medal. Congratulations. <laughs> That's very exciting. Kind of unexpected. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, not that you hadn't had good finishes prior. First U.S. cross-country gold medal. Has it sunk in? Does it feel like, okay, this is just part of my life now? Uh, it still feels weird to hear Olympic champions and every so often, yeah, pull out the gold medal and go, oh my gosh, that actually happened because it definitely was the biggest goal ever since I was a little kid. You dream about winning an Olympic gold medal. So to actually have one now, to know it, it actually happened, it's pretty amazing, but I still think it hasn't fully set in yet. And how is it winning uh, not just a medal, uh, not just the gold, but just a medal in a sport that the U.S. has never meddled in? I mean, you're going into when you're a little girl, you have that that big dream and the big goal and you kind of have obstacles against you in a way. But I mean, we had to break that that barrier somehow and sometime. Right. Yeah, I vividly remember having uh, the thought when I was younger, uh, as I was really just trying a lot of different sports and kind of figuring out what I really wanted to pursue, and eventually kind of settling on cross-country skiing as this exciting frontier beca because no American woman had ever won an Olympic medal. I kind of thought, wow, well, they've done it in Alpine, you know, they've done it in soccer, they've done it in running, some of the other sports I'd done, but no one's ever done it, and just kind of had this feeling that if I just there's no reason we shouldn't be able to win an Olympic medal, uh, you know, especially if, if the men have been able to do it back in 1976, then there's no reason we couldn't do it. So I've always had that belief. I've always had the, that excitement to chase after something, you know, and after four Olympics when it hadn't happened yet, I mean, I think what really motivated me was knowing that our team had gotten so strong and that we could compete for team events here in 2018. And that's what motivated me to go for another Olympic cycle. So that was the big difference you felt this time as opposed to the, the, the previous. Yeah, so well, such a contrast because coming into 2014, uh, I was considered the gold medal favorite in the freestyle sprint. And it was the first time in my whole career where an American was truly coming in with medal aspirations to be me. You know, it was, a, again, a new, kind of a new frontier of being excited, being confident, 
knowing we could make it happen, knowing how important it would be for putting our sport on the map, for getting more fans, for getting more support, for being able to showcase uh, the sport that I love, but also learning how to manage all that pressure and expectation and the extra media time and that kind of thing. So that was all focused on my individual chance on, and was so focused on the, on winning that medal. And then when it didn't happen, it, it really put things into perspective. And so I personally had a decision to make after that Olympics of I've had an amazing career. Do I want to, you know, finish with this and start a family and move on to some new things. But I kept coming back to, well, I've worked so hard to get here and we now have this team that could be capable of winning uh, team medals in 2018. So I don't think I'm ready to be done yet. So talking of starting a family, in between the two Olympics, you did. You had a baby. So when you had your son, did you know you wanted to come back even before you, you had your baby? I did. So we were we were pretty strategic about the whole thing. Um, really fortunate to have an incredibly supportive husband who was on board this uh, project with me, and and we were we targeted 2016 because uh, we knew I would probably have to take a season away from racing, and that's a year with no championships. It falls midway through the Olympic cycle. You know, you can never plan exactly on having a kid, so we just kind of kept an open mind about it. But it worked out, and I did take that season off for racing, but. My son came in April of 2016, and so I was able to spend that whole summer building back into training, so I was ready for the World Cup season to start in November, and then I spent uh, that first year really just kind of getting back into competition mode and, and, and actually had a pretty successful World Championships, won a bronze medal there, um, and then that gave me the full year coming into the Olympics. So we kind of went into it with this idea that uh, I had had an amazing career up to that point. The, the most important goal was a healthy baby and and our family and that you know we're optimistic I could return to competing and was excited for what that would mean and, and the experiment of it all but ultimately if for some reason my health or the baby's health you know didn't allow me to come back I could also be totally at peace with my finishing my ski career and moving on and you pretty much planned that perfectly if he was born in April because then you were you just took the season off like you never were racing sort of toward the end of the season and you're pregnant and not so you did that kind of perfectly Mother Nature worked yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really couldn't have planned it any better because we typically take April as our off month anyway and then start building back into training in May. So I really only ended up a few weeks behind normal schedule. And it was a great time to have a baby, it turns out, because springtime, you know, the days are starting to get nicer. And uh, up in Alaska, it's that kind of time of year when you couldn't really do the snow things anymore, but the summer things weren't quite ready. So as you're spending a lot of time inside with the baby, it was, it was just a, a great time to just get that whole thing going. And what else is really nice is that there are other mothers on the ski circuit with you. And it's nice to be able to see how you can balance being an elite athlete with motherhood and taking care of a family. And I feel like in our, our world tends to be black and white and being able to show that there's this gray that is possible and still see achievement is is really nice to be able to see that going forward. Yeah, I mean, looking at it totally from the athletic side of things, I there's definitely not enough information and definitely not a lot of great, great examples out there of how you can have babies and you can come back to being a full athlete. Our bodies are actually designed to bounce back really well. You know, it took some different effort and some different focuses, but I think it's it was a really 
it was a great thing for me to go through to realize how strong I could be both through my pregnancy and then returning afterwards. And then having the camaraderie of all the mom, all the uh, World Cup athletes that kind of did it at the same time. So we can swap experiences. You know, a couple of those women were a few months ahead of me in the whole process. So I went as I got to see them come back, you know, it gave me the confidence and motivation that I was going to get back. And so now I think we have these a lot more great examples out there kind of showing that you can blend uh, an elite athlete career with being a mom and that it actually in a lot of ways improves your job as an athlete and and I hope is inspiration for a lot of women out there that that want to still stay athletic that you can totally do it what what kind of information would you have wanted to know beforehand that you didn't have well like you um, know when you're when you're when you're an athlete who's training quite a lot you know does that affect your chances to get pregnant because that was always the answer, you know, well, I, well, I want to train in case I can't get pregnant so I can still be prepared for the racing season. But at the same time, my goal is to get pregnant. So I don't want to be training too hard if that's going to impact it. So, you know, not knowing how that was. And, and I just had to reach out to some other women and, and, and of course experiment for myself and, and was able to find out that, yeah, you can still train pretty hard and still get pregnant. So that was kind of cool. You know, what kind of training can I do while I'm pregnant? You know, are there any things I, I should stay away from, should look out for, be careful for, you know, there really wasn't a lot of information that way. So I took, I went into it again with a goal that the baby was healthy. Baby was the number one goal. And then just maintaining as much fitness as I could outside of that was kind of a secondary goal. And I was pleasantly surprised with how much I could do, how good I felt. I think being able to exercise so much through my pregnancy actually made the pregnancy feel better and go smoothly. And then helped, of course, with bouncing back after the baby came, but that that was all kind of a new frontier. And then once you have the baby, you know, how do you build back into training? You know, how do you, is, uh, you know, are you, if you're breastfeeding, is that going to be impacted by your training? You know, all these different things. And then of course, once you're like, for us, we were traveling on the road with my son. So, you know, how are we going to handle all the logistics in Europe and carry him around and all those kind of things. So a lot of it, you know, once you go through it once, you're then you're like, oh yeah, totally, I get this now. But then capturing that information and putting it out there so that the next person that comes along doesn't totally have to figure it out for themselves. I just think it's fun to pass along what I've learned and being able to talk to other women who had been through it as I was going through the process was really helpful through me. And and it doesn't help that over the decades, women, elite women athletes have been told that certain sports aren't good for your bodies. And we've had to break down all those barriers. And, you know, that's just rough, too, having to deal with that. Yeah, I was fortunate in that the healthcare providers that I worked with through my pregnancy and after were very supportive of, you know, they knew me as an athlete. They knew what what the rigors of my training were. And they, you know, they gave me some great parameters to work in. But they said, yeah, we think you can do this. And there's still a lot of doctors out there that are like, oh, no, no, no. You know, don't get your heart rate too high. You know, don't do too much strength training, all these things. And, I mean, I was kind of like, well... Back in the day, women couldn't just stop working the fields. Like our bodies, I think, are built for this. So, yeah, I think having more positive examples out there just helps everybody kind of move forward with this progressive way. Absolutely. Okay. So the Athletes Commission. So it's the official title is the International Olympic Committee Athletes Commission. Do I have that right? What is it exactly? Let's let's go with the real basic. What what exactly does that do? 
So I, I can't tell you exactly when this whole thing started, but it's been going strong, I know, for at least the last 10 years, but I think quite a ways beyond that. But basically, I mean, the athletes are at the center of the Olympic movement. I mean, without the athletes, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the Olympics. And so thankfully, the leadership at the International Olympic Committee has recognized that. And they say, well, athletes are an important stakeholder in this whole thing, so they should be actively involved in you know, all the decision-making processes of the Olympic movement. And that's everything from their, their experience at the Games to resources to support them inside their sports career and outside their sports career. It's being involved in you know, spreading the Olympic values all over the world. So the Athletes Commission is about 20 members, and it's made up of representatives from a mixture of sports and countries because we represent both summer and winter Olympics. Uh, and then we have the Paralympians uh, on the Athletes Commission as well. So we're kind of working together. And then what we are, we're really dealing, we're, we're actively involved in the daily business of the IOC. So keeping up to speed on things like, you know, the, the bidding and the, the planning of the Olympic Games, the, of course, anti-doping, issues like gender equality, I mean, everything involved in the Olympics. But then we also, as a body, also look out for topics and interests that, that really relate to athletes in general. So not just what something might be important to me as a cross-country skier, and that also relates to a table player and a bobsledder and a sled hockey player and, you know, all those different things. So when we get together, we really discuss things that are pretty general in nature across all of our sports. And then we are encouraged then to also work it's at different levels within our sports. So um, I'm also uh, a board member on the US, U.S. Olympic Committee, and I'm in close contact with their athlete commission, the FIS, which is our national governing body for skiing and snowboard. Um, they have an athlete commission, so I'm actively involved and connected with them. So another main role of the IOC Athletes Commission is to really be kind of the guiding light for all the athlete representative bodies at the different levels. So uh, again, we can kind of see what's going on at the Olympic level, kind of see what the global issues are, and, and really help develop some best practices and things. And then we can push that down to the international federations, the national Olympic committees on, on down. That's what I know so far, but I have to say I'm only a, only a month and a half into this role. So I'm learning every, more every day. So you, oh, go ahead. I Jeff. was going to say why, because, because this was an elected position, why did you want to run for it? Ever since I was a little kid, uh, the Olympics has always been just such a big part of my life. I had an aunt and uncle that were Olympians. So from my earliest memories, I got to hear their stories and wear some of their Olympic gear. Uh, I vividly remember watching my first Winter Olympics at five years old on TV and deciding I wanted to go to the Olympics. Uh, a lot of my school art projects growing up uh, would relate to the Olympic Games. I loved watching it on TV. I had all the heroes of my walls. I just, I love the idea that the Olympics is all about getting the best out of yourself. And it's also about bringing the world together on such positive terms, you know, going over politics and over conflict and coming together on such positive terms to really just celebrate our best potential. And so knowing my athletic career uh, was coming to an end soon, I wanted to kind of pay back a lot of what the Olympics has given me in my life by being able to take the experience I've gained over five Olympics and then take that in and really help strengthen the Olympic movement so that it can continue to be a positive force in the world for generations to come. Because I want my son, you know, to be excited about it. I want it to continue to be a, a positive uniting force for the world. So, and, and ever since I was a young girl, I also have always been interested in how sports work and how to make things better. 
So when I was in seventh grade, I got involved. They had, the school district had to cut the middle school sports program because they didn't have enough money. So I got together with this group of students from across our district, and we came up with a plan on how that group could save, uh, save money on vandalism and therefore save money for school sports, and we got sports brought back in. And then, of course, later I've, I've worked with, within the U.S. ski team and the FIS, uh, and I just I love being a part of the process and learning how it all goes. So I thought, well, why not take it to the highest level? So you're just into it, but then do you get put on different committees, or how fast do you get Thomas Bach's number on your speed dial? <laughs> well, I was surprised at how quickly things happened uh, during the Olympic Games. So Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday the 21st, 9 p.m. in the evening, we win the gold medal. Uh, noon the next day, they, ha- they have the announcement for the election, the election results. I find out that I have been elected by my peers. Uh, shortly, after, within half an hour after that, we go into a briefing room and I get the first briefing and the fact that I will be having breakfast with the president uh, the next day or sorry, lunch with the president, and the following day, breakfast with the Athletes Commission. I will be then officially sworn in as an IOC member, which was news to me. I didn't, no one explained that part of it. So I became an IOC member. Then I had to fulfill a role thanking the volunteers on behalf of the athletes during the closing ceremonies. So I had to go to rehearsal for that. Then somewhere in that first 48 hours that someone was like, oh, by the way, this officially puts you on the board of directors of the U.S. Olympic Committee. And we're having a phone conference Monday morning. So, so all of a sudden I was like, wait, really? No one, meant, no one thought to mention that? So like I said, yeah, this role is kind of, you know, I'm learning, it's expanding. I have, I've attended a couple conference calls now with the Athletes Commission. And my first in-person meeting, I believe, will be in Buenos Aires in October for the Youth Olympic Games and the Olympianism in Action Forum down there. So that will be fun and exciting. I've already been to one USOC board meeting, and I've got another one coming up in a couple of weeks in June. So things are things are rolling. And then I think, you know, it's an eight-year position. So since I've just finished my career, and we've recently uh, relocated to British Columbia for my husband's job, uh, a lot of things are kind of in flux right now. So I think I want to take this first year to really learn you know, who all the people are, how the processes work, what different opportunities there are, kind of pick what issues I feel the strongest about, and then kind of work on getting more integrated from there. You've been to five Olympics. So how has the Olympic movement improved over your Olympic career or even, you know, declined in so- if they have in some aspects? Well, I think, you know, a lot of things have moved forward, like just just in terms of the IOC Athletes Commission, you know, over uh, since Salt Lake, which was, I can't believe, 16 years ago already. You know, the, the athletes are more directly involved with the Olympic movement than they've ever been. You know, the, the Athlete Commission has done a really good job of creating this new website called Athlete 365, which is a really great communication uh, platform for communicating a lot of information to the athletes globally, which is no easy challenge. So I think uh, getting to see that they're just so much more well-organized uh, and connected with with all the Olympic athletes. The voting for the Athletes Commission members in Pyeongchang was the highest turnout they've ever had. I believe 84% of competing athletes voted. So it's really great to see. I think that athletes really care about this and are engaged probably more than ever. And of course, the Olympics has faced some PR problems <laughs> with, uh, you know, a lot of cities dropping out of the bid process because it's complicated too expensive. The, the, the doping problems uh, with the systematic stuff seem to be in Russia. So I think, I think in response to a lot of that uh, negative, negativity and challenge, you can see good things already starting to happen. 
you know, they're refining the bid process to make it more efficient, which in turn is going to make games more sustainable, you know, more environmentally friendly, uh, less expensive for cities, which then I think creates a better legacy after the games um, are over. Um, you know, they're doing a lot of talk about gender equality right now, um, making sure that across all sports, there's good uh, opportunity for both men and women, but also in the administrative levels uh, within the IOC. So I think that's a really positive step. So it's a it's fine balance. There's still lots of things to work on, of course, but I think I think there's uh, a lot of great things to continue to improve on and work on. And and I, I think the I'm optimistic the uh, the Olympic movement can, can continue to be so strong. So you mentioned doping, and obviously cross country was a sport that had a significant impact from doping. I always wonder, do you as an athlete know? Can you tell when you look at another athlete? Mm, there's a problem. <laughs> uh, it's kind of two sides to that question. Uh, on one hand, um, really kind of having worked myself from the bottom up and gotten into a position where my, myself and my American teammates can now compete for medals. And we've done it at all levels. We've done it at the World Cup. We've done it at the World Championships. We've now done it at the Olympics. We've done it in the overall World Cup stuff. And, and in spending so much time on the World Cup, I've gotten to know a lot of my competitors from other countries. And I really do believe that you can be successful as a clean athlete. And I do believe that the majority of the athletes competing are clean. You know, I, I tend to always be caught by surprise, actually, when, the, when these big things, especially, you know, the scale they're talking about over London, Beijing, Sochi, um, you just kind of go, wow, really? In today's day and age with the technology and everything and, and all the great things that are going on about anti-doping, you know, this is still happening. So I guess as an athlete, I was always focused on, on knowing I could win clean and, and feeling like that there was not going to be a barrier to that. I've said that, you know, the stuff, the information comes out and you're like, holy cow, yeah, you know, this is still happening. So I think all of this that has come out has really just highlighted what a complex issue this is and that we have some systems in place, but obviously the systems need to be stronger and more connected. Uh, and that's going to be the challenge moving forward. That was a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> Perfect for the IOC commission. That was good, man. <laughs> I tell you, you can't, uh, there's no way I would have been able to make it as long as I did in cross-country skiing if I truly felt like it, it wasn't a level playing field, if I felt like I couldn't be successful. And I know a lot of the a lot of the women that I just crossed over with that were kind of finishing their careers as mine were starting, I think they competed in an era where it was pretty impossible to feel like you could be successful as a clean athlete. And it was really, it was more rampant and it was going on and and they for sure probably knew that. So I just, I feel fortunate that things have improved a lot and that I feel, can feel confident and just have to keep working on, on making the system stronger. And watching you and, and Jesse Diggin win that medal was just so exciting. I mean, such a, a great boost, obviously, for clean athletes and such a great boost for American and American women athletes. So that was, that was a lot of fun to watch on our end. We, on the day of, because during the games, we did uh, the recaps, we were a little ridiculously excited <laughs> when that happened. So it was it was definitely a big boost, which was great. Well, I think oh, what was so yeah, what was so special about all of it for us is is how much it represented. I mean, yeah, it was a race, and you know we were really excited to be the first gold medalist. But it really was about all of those things you mentioned, and you could really feel the respect from the other teams, you know, that we shared the podium with that were in the race that day. I think everybody knew that this victory was was really big, uh, a really big statement for our sport and for, yeah, kind of all the positive things that are happening. 
So Fast and Female, talking about female athletes, organization you have been involved with since it started? Close. Uh, Close. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll let you tell the story then. <laughs> I think it officially started in uh, 2005, 2006 by a good friend of mine, Shonda Crawford, who is also a gold medalist in cross-country skiing. We became friends uh, shortly, or I guess right around the time she won her gold medal in Torino. And uh, that was about the time I was the only U.S. woman on the World Cup. And she was one of two Canadian women, I think. So being kind of the lone women from our respective teams, we bonded together and uh, started training together. And when I found out about Fast and Female, which was really born out of the idea that girls are dropping out of sports at a significant rate. And we, we know the power that sports have for every girl uh, in their lives. And then we want to keep them in sports so that they not only stay healthy and and confident, but then they continue, they can be leaders in sport, coaches, administrators. So Charna started it kind of as a way to just motivate girls to stay in sports uh, and by utilizing her teammates as kind of the positive role models. Because what we found is that girls react to their role models in person so much better than seeing them in a cereal box somewhere. So once I, once I found out about what she was doing, I just, I totally loved the concept and wanted to bring it to the U.S. So I started hosting events in the U.S. I think we did our first one in 2009 and I've just kind of helped grow the U.S. side of of the organization. Meanwhile, it's, you know, we've managed to do events in a few different countries. It's quite a robust program in Canada. They, they have coordinators in every province um, and they do upwards of 25, 30 events a year on the U.S. side. We're a little smaller right now. We do about eight to 10 events a year, um, but across the country. And we, we bring in top female athletes and they get to interact with the girls between the ages of eight and 18. And we hope that they have a lot of fun. They connect with their peers. They connect with a good role model. And that as they're going through through their sporting careers, when they get to that tough point of, I don't know, should I do this? You know, was it not enough support? Is it body image? Is it social belonging? We can give them some of the tools and inspiration and connections to, to stay in sports when it gets tough. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love that. I was like, can I go to one of the events? I know. <laughs> like, I'm a little older than 18, but. Yeah. Still need to do them for, for adults too, because I think everybody, you know, women especially just need the right environment. And it's amazing the difference you can make in just a couple of hours. You know, your competitive career is over. Mm-hmm. You're, you're doing fast and female. You're on the commission. You've got your little boy. I think <laughs> that's full, but I have a feeling there's more. So what, what else is, is in your post-competitive life? Well, I've just spent the last 20 years kind of building the story, you know, about kind of jumping into a sport where there, there was no path to follow and uh, kind of experimenting, experimenting as we went, hitting some highs, hitting some lows, building through all these steps and ultimately coming out with a fairy tale, fairy tale ending. And I love being, going out and telling that story. So um, working on kind of building my public speaking business because I really enjoy going out and trying to motivate people to achieve their big dreams and work together with teamwork and you know for the for the on the women's side you know feeling strong and confident and empowered and healthy. So I'm hoping to do some public speaking kind of intermittently throughout. Uh, and then I also through this pre- this experience with with the pregnancy with training and then of course coming back to an athlete. I working on a book project too kind of detail that story and get that, get that out there. Like I said, cause I'd like to share that information. Fantastic. So, yep. Wonderful. Try to fit that all into 24 hours a day and, and stay yeah. fit. We'll see how it goes. You'll be able to do it. That will be nothing. Well, thank you so much. I still, you know, Allison, she did not answer my question about whether or not she has T box number on her speed dial. 
I think she uh, she was very politically savvy and just sort of slid right by that. I know, but I I, I just want to say I have been pregnant, mm-hmm. and I did I did was very sick when I was pregnant. So, but the idea that she was training pretty much up until she got pregnant and right after giving birth is just insane to me. I was not capable of that. But that's also because she that she went into it. You know, she was so physically fit when she became right, pregnant. Right. And it's so interesting how the attitudes have changed because also I wanted to tell her, you know, you can't ski good thing you're not a ski jumper because your yeah. uterus is totally falling out by now. So I was pregnant a long time ago. My daughter's 15. And even when I was pregnant, there was definitely this, oh, you can't do aerobics. You can't do... There was, you can't weight lift. That was a big thing. And now it's totally different. It's basically, if you did it before you were pregnant, you can do it now. Amazing. And that's really, you know, that, that for, for athletes, that just has got to be such a relief. It extends their career because your biological clock is no longer ticking. You can have a baby. Right. And come back. So when you hit that, you know, early 30s, like she did, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, do I keep going? Do I stop because I want a family? You don't have to make that choice. Right. You can do both. Right. Not that it isn't easy and not that it's, you know, not everybody can do it physically, but it's an option and people are no longer saying to you, once again, the IOC being involved in women's uteruses. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad they're getting less interested in all of our uteri. <laughs> Just saying. I'm really excited to see what she does with the IOC Athletes Commission. It sounds like a really cool gig. It really does. Yes. And a long one. Man, I can just imagine, like, I, I, I did think, like, how much email are you getting now? <laughs> how many forms do you have to check? Oh my gosh, you just must be inundated with all this stuff. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see like what committees she ends up on and what she ends up focusing on. And I, I hope we get to talk to her and if, after she's done it for a few years to say, do you feel like it's really accomplishing the promise of it? Right. You know, does she feel like she's got that voice? that the commission right. promises to the athletes. Right. Although at least it's it's also really cool that she's had such a long Olympic career because she has seen the change. I mean, yes. there are it's massive change from Salt Lake to Pyeongchang and yes. I can only ma- imagine well, I can't imagine what is going to happen next. So we'll see. We'll be there. We'll be watching. That's right. That's right. All right. Thank you so much, Keegan, for coming on the show. We really appreciated having you and best of luck in your future endeavors. So trivia time. This week, I'm taking the week off. Oh, my God. I'm so excited about my trivia question. All right. Because, okay, so the big royal wedding is coming up this weekend. And I wanted to work that in because royals have been very involved from the beginning. Right. With the Olympics. Right. So I have... So much Royal Olympic related trivia, but I had to work in a question that I thought you could actually get the answer to. That's not just like <laughs> well, I appreciate an interesting that. little bit of <laughs> trivia. So I'm, I'm going to do the question and then I'm going to give my other 
okay. my two oh, other favorite pieces. Oh, of excellent knowledge. Okay, so what current ruling sovereign and consort of sovereign spouse have both competed in the Olympics? I'm going to say uh, Monaco. <gasps> How did you get that? I think I actually knew that. Because, well, because is- the older crown, are they the crown prince? No, they had the best titles. Okay. Okay, so His Serene Highness, the hereditary prince of Monaco, Albert II. Right, because Albert an- I was a bobsledder. No, Albert, no, this is the Albert that was no, the Oh, this is the bobsledder. Okay. Yes, yeah, so Albert II. Uh, competed in bobsled 88, 92, and 2002. He's also, I believe, an IOC member. I know for a while he was the head of the Monaco Olympic Committee. So Mm -hmm. he's been very, very involved. And his wife, Her Serene Highness, Princess Charlene, don't they have the best titles? As Charlene Whitstock competed in 2000 for South Africa in the 4 by 100 meter uh, swim relay. Oh, wow. I did not know that. And I also did not know she was South African. Also, uh, She was born in what was then Rhodesia. Okay. Her family emigrated to South Africa. So she's wow African. And I think they met through their Olympic connections. And a lot of their early public appearances were at opening ceremonies. and. Oh, how fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my, okay. my two other great pieces of my favorite Royal Olympic trivia was back in the Sydney Olympics, lovely Australian Mary Donaldson wanders into a bar, gets, you know, chatted up by this handsome guy from Europe. He slips her his number and they end up dating. She only later finds out that he's the crown prince of Denmark. Oh, that's right. I had read that story and, too, and it was fantastic. And now she, and they are now the crown, crown prince Frederick and crown princess Mary. Yeah, Denmark. that was a fantastic story. She had no clue. And he is a handsome man. I would have totally chatted him up in a bar. Not that he would have noticed me. <laughs> Just saying. And then my other favorite piece of, of Royal Olympic trivia was Zara... Phillips, now Zara Tyndall, was the first member of the British royal family to win an Olympic medal. She is the granddaughter of Queen Elizabeth. Her mother is Princess Anne, and she won a silver medal in equestrian, in team equestrian, in London. So her mother gave her her medal because Princess Anne is on the UKOC Mm -hmm. and also competed in equestrian in 76, as did... Zara's father, Captain Mark Phillips. Wow. But they were not married at the time, I don't think. So he was not considered part of the royal family when he wow. competed. And he married. So, but I love that her mother was giving the equestrian, the equestrian medals anyway, being that it was London. And then she got to give her daughter the medal. And at home. And at home. So I love that. So... To our and Harry is a huge Olympics fan mm-hmm. and a huge sports fan and and started the Invictus Games for injured uh, servicemen. So to Megan and Harry, all the best. Good luck. Yes, good luck. I think on that note we will close out today's show. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't, we would really appreciate it if you drop us a review in iTunes. That helps us get a few more listeners. And we always want to find our Olympic people. We love talking and interacting with you. And until next week, we will keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. I don't know what it is about Keegan that just makes me want to just go all Oprah on her.